Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Um, welcome to Grave Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and uh, I hope that you guys have had a good weekend. Um, you know, I actually, uh, I just found out, I know this has nothing to do with church, but I just found out that I am Hispanic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give me a round of applause, right? <laughs> yeah. My whole life, I, uh, you know, it, it all makes sense now. It all does, because I love music, but I don't have any rhythm, and now I understand why. It's this mixture I got going on, um, but uh, <laughs> it's just really funny, so I thought I'd share it with you. But um, you're like, this is the weirdest intro to church ever. Um, <laughs> we, are, uh, we are continuing our series about spiritual things, spiritual things. This whole month, we've been talking about um, the, the spiritual world that we live in as Christians, and... Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about developing discernment, this developing discernment, because once you become engaged um, with the spiritual world, it's really crucial to, to be able to discern the different voices that you start interacting with, and the different voices, the different leadings, because how can you tell the difference between if it's God's voice or just your own thoughts? You ever had that struggle? Like, God, is that you or is it me? How do you know if it's not even like the devil? That might be like just whispering in your ear. You know, we get this big confusion. And the way that we're able to get past that is by answering, the, uh, uh, by, going, uh, by digging into these questions, by learning how to develop discernment spiritually. And so we're going to be talking about some very practical steps and concepts when uh, to be able to better help you learn and how to operate in this spiritual lifestyle. So to kind of get us in the mood, I wanted us to look at a story within the book of Matthew. And I feel like this, this part of scripture will be able to give us an example of why it is extremely necessary to have discernment uh, in, in our life. And so it says... In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he, told him, uh, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me, and you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So what we see in this story is that Peter unwitt unwittingly thought that he was talking on behalf of God to Jesus, but was actually speaking from his own pride and from, the, from being uh, imparted by the devil himself. Jesus said, at uh, first he said, get behind me, Satan, uh, insinuating, implying that the devil had imparted this thought to him, that had, uh, that had impressed this idea to Peter. And then he tells Peter, you're thinking from merely human point of view. So he, so he addresses the spiritual play inside of Peter and also the ego, the pride inside of Peter. And it's a simple glimpse of how 
we can see that even uh, a simple glimpse of how we can incorrectly perceive something that we thought was spiritual. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so to better unpack this concept, I want us to to start with the first baseline of reasoning. And that is by understanding what you give attention to. What you give attention to. So our first point is attention, please. Attention, please. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I had this simple trick to get the attention of the young people in the room. Because right before we'd start service, we would have games out, foosball table, all these things to take these young people's attention. And it's really hard to get the attention of young people when they're already distracted. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so at first you do some like you stuff that doesn't work. Like, guys, listen up, listen up. Doesn't work. What I, I found this simple method and I would just say, everyone look at my hand. And I'm telling you, it's like magic. Everyone would stop and give their complete undivided attention and look at my hand. They would stop talking. The whole room would be loud. But the minute I would say, look at my hand, everyone would stop. And it was like this spell that just went over them. And it was a simple trick that I learned. But what it, uh, what it shows me is how how astounding attention can be. There's so many things that, that try to get our attention, and especially in our world, people pay billions and billions of daughter, uh, daughters, <laughs> kind of, if you think about it, dollars, dollars to get our attention. And the best advertisers, the best salespeople that get our attention are the ones that get it without us even realizing it. You're talking about, I'm talking about like some blogs that you're reading that you thought was just informational and you didn't even realize that they were selling you a product. I'm talking about some, some political views that were hidden in the movies. I hate watching documentaries for that reason. Because it's not even that I disagree with their political opinion or their, what they're trying to say, but it's more so I just don't like being tricked. Like I thought I was just going to learn something, but now I'm being swayed. What about philosophical ideas that are planted in children's books? Even just at such a young age, being sold these, these intention-grabbing ideas. And if we could understand that we're constantly targeted for our attention, we can also understand that it's no different in the spiritual world. Look what it says in, uh, in this story, Acts chapter 16. This is a very interesting story. It says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had the spirit of divination met us, who is bringing great profit to her master by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. See, for years, I almost didn't understand this story. He's like, well, isn't the demon doing a nice thing? <laughs> it's like letting everybody know, right? See, to better understand this story, we must reflect on what the devil really wants. We must understand what the devil wants, and that is our worship. The devil wants our worship. And think for a moment of what worship really is. Worship is giving just immense focus and devotion to something or an ideas to somebody. It's giving immense attention. 
deep focus. That's what worship is. So it makes so much sense when we understand that if we were to grasp that attention can be these, these small forms of worship. And this story shows a literal demon who's taken possession of a woman to solely attract the attention by giving false fortunes to people. Now, I'm not trying to step on toes here, okay? I'm not trying to say that every fortune teller is evil, but Deuteronomy does say that's not a good thing. But it is the idea of fortune telling in general is uh, this desire to grasp attention. To grasp attention. To, to seek this spiritual entity for advice, for direction. And they're often so much manipulation just with that alone. And so now that we, that we see why the devil even would want to be doing that in the first place, the minute that Paul came with the gospel message of Christ, that was really messing up the attention this demonic force was getting. And not only did the demon want to distract from God's saving message, but it coveted the attention itself. It coveted all the attention itself. So it did exactly what Burger King does, or used to do. It's not as popular now. But if you notice that every McDonald's, they pay millions of dollars to put themselves in the geographical location that would give them the best attention in the area. Burger King just puts themselves next to a McDonald's. <laughs> See, this is what the devil's trying to do. It's trying to be like Burger King. <laughs> It gets next to God and says, yeah, yeah, but look, I'm also right here too. <laughs> See, some of you are like, Burger King's, they're trying, right? <laughs> but he's trying to steal that attention. And to the devil, all press is good press. It doesn't care if you're giving it negative attention. It just wants that attention. It's a, this feeding of false worship. And so, it, because it wants to be the forefront of people's thoughts in their minds, it, it, can, it always feeds on this false sense of, of worship through attention. It makes a lot of sense whenever like, some ooga-booga stuff happens, right? <laughs> it's like, when you think about the idea, it's like, well, if, if, if my house is haunted, right? <laughs> Don't even try to tell me that there's no such thing as ghosts, right? You, everyone knows that one hallway growing up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? To where you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, oh, crap. And you, because the lights are off, you run as fast as you can, flip on the lights, and then go to the bathroom, right? Because the light repels darkness. Well, even if, if we were to look at some of these instances being true, these demonic forces knocking over a book, cup of water, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And you think logically, why would it, you know, what's the big, what's the big jazz here? Well, even if it could get just a little bit of attention from you to a demon, that's worth it. When we don't, when we don't fixate that attention, it, it, it has no, it has no uh, desire to be there because we're not giving any kind of attention to it. It, it, goes in, uh, it goes to say that you should pay attention to what you give attention. Pay attention to what you give attention. If you're, if you're just... Uh, inexpressibly mad at the devil, it would be better for you to praise God than to curse the devil. He wants any kind of attention. So don't waste your time on giving attention to things that don't benefit you. I find that a lot of Christians end up doing this by trying to find out um, like conspiracies. 
And I'm not going to lie, I'm a skeptic myself. I, I think that really, this is just me, I'm not saying that, you know, I could probably pull some biblical context, but I think that all government might be evil. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I know, right? But I've, I've heard Christians spent, uh, I've heard certain Christians spend hours looking through YouTube to find out if the uh, Illuminati exists. It's like, dang, dog, like, <laughs> imagine if you spent that time in Scripture instead. Well, I just need to find out if it was a lie or not. It's like, yeah, but like, <laughs> that wasn't edifying of your time. You gave your attention to something that, that stole your time. It, what You wasted it when you could have actually been giving attention to something that could have been edifying to your spirit. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so with that being said, let's talk about just that, investing into the things that truly edify you. Investing in the things that truly edify you. And with that, we're going to look about how we see things, our perception and investing in our perception. And in this, in this point, I want us to really grasp the idea of like, I see now. I see now. It's kind of like the moment that you become a Christian, you see things differently now. Right? It's like there's a, it's almost like you put on some HD goggles and you're like, I never saw things like this. I, I think that Christianity is a lot like Plato's allegory of the cave to where before Christ, we see only shadows in the world. We only see life through shadows. But once we give our life to Christ, it's almost like we turn around and we see life for what it really is. I see now. How many of you guys have bad vision? I, okay. All right. Yeah. It's, it's okay. I got contacts on. I know. Some of y'all are like, he's really going to call me out. I have contacts. In fact, the first time I ever got an eye exam is because I told my mom I keep seeing my nose. I was going cross-eyed as a kid. <laughs> and when I, when I went to, to the eye doctor, they thought that I was lying about my, about my results because my vision was so bad. <laughs> and so I've been wearing glasses and contacts from a really young age. When we first moved back to uh, San Antonio to start the church, I ended up taking the sales job to where I, I had uh, some vision insurance. So with some vision insurance, I was like, you know, I'm going to give me some contacts. I'd been wearing glasses for, uh, for a little too long, and I was like, I want to get back to my real self, un, unhindered by glasses, because my nose is too big. Glasses have always been unsettling on my nose. So I went to this uh, optometrist, and it really showed me how good my insurance was because this is a really shady optometrist. I'd never have been to a shady optometrist before until I went to this one. And I, I remember going up the stairs like, this is kind of weird. <laughs> and I went through the whole exam and they gave me a brand new prescription. And as soon as I put in the trial pair of contacts, I was like, these, are, these aren't working. These aren't good. It doesn't feel good on my eyes. I can't see. And I was just like, it was just clearly not a good fit. They said, no, you just need to get used to them first. I said, I've been wearing contacts all my life. These don't fit good. No, just come back in three days if, if the problem persists. And so, of course, the problem persists. And in fact, I could see better without the contacts in than when I had them in. I could see better with my impaired vision. And I ended up going back and this, this doctor was irritated that he had to like recheck me right and in the process of me going home I went through like and found my old contacts box and I looked at the prescription and I could see that not only was the prescription different but I also found that the beveling of the contact was just like point degree off like it was just a minuscule degree off right so I go back and I'm you know saying that it just doesn't fit good 
And he does this whole little test again, and then he says, well, the best thing I can do for you is uh, suggest that you get uh, surgery. It's like, what are you talking about? So, well, your tear ducts, that's why you're not getting enough moisture in your eyes because your tear ducts aren't producing enough liquid. I was like, well, part of that makes sense because I'm very masculine and manly. And I don't cry often. But that doesn't explain how I've gone my whole life without needing this tear duct surgery. And now you're saying all of a sudden I, I need surgery. Well, let's just say I didn't really trust the guy. So I went and got a second opinion, got, got my eyes checked again got a new prescription, the right beveling, and I could see just fine. I didn't even need the surgery. And I share this because our ability to see is exponentially valuable. It's one of the most valuable attributes of the human body. And that experience showed me how just one degree difference within the way that we see things can affect the way that we perceive reality. See, the, the lenses that we look through is incredibly meaningful because if you're wearing lenses that have a tint on them, you could see everything in a dark, in a dark way, right? If you see everything through the lenses of red, you'll think that everything is red. How we see things matters, and especially how we see things spiritually is just as true. We need clear, a clear and clean spiritual lens. And... I believe that the lenses that we see through as Christians is humility and holiness. I want us to look at the scripture in John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. It says, And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those who were with him from the Pharisees heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you maintain, we see your sin remains. See, Jesus is giving this, this description, this, this comparison that if you think that you can really see but actually can't see, you're only fooling yourself. And he's comparing to the Pharisees who had immense pride, who he calls uh, hypocritical uh, vipers, because of the, their religious hypocrisy, because of their, their, uh, the, the sinfulness within their heart. Look at what John, in John chapter 3, verse 9 through 11 says. He says. It says, Nicodemus responded and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. And you people do not accept our testimony. See, the wrongful behavior of the Pharisees was that they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of, of the people, but they could not even see Jesus as the Messiah, let alone could they see the actual amazing spiritual things that Jesus had done on a regular basis because pride blinded them from being able to see themselves with any faults. It was the pride that blinded them from being able to see Jesus for who he really was. It shows us that the biggest thing that can hold you back spiritually is you. Seeing spiritual things starts with holiness and humility. It takes humility to come before Jesus and acknowledge the need of a Savior. Y'all ever follow Ray Comfort? 
he's, uh, he's an amazing evangelist, and he does street ministry to where he just like cold witnesses people, goes up to a random person on the street and starts uh, leading them to Jesus. And one of the ways that he does it is through uh, simply asking, if there's a heaven, do you think that you'd go there? And people always typically say, well, yeah, I'm a good person. He says, oh, you think you're a good person. Can we put that to the test? And then he goes through the Ten Commandments. Now, newsflash, every single person in the history of the world has not been able to meet the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, even, well, I've never murdered someone. Jesus said that if you hate somebody in your heart, it's just as much as murder. See, he literally, it gets them to see in a humble way that they need a Savior. See, that humility is required to see your need for a Savior. But pride says, no, I'm good enough on my own. We need humility and holiness. And once you do that, once you recognize your need of God's holiness through repentance, you will begin to see some of the most amazing things that God can do. When I think of, I've been in ministry for, for over 10 years now. It's been about 12 years. And what I've found is every time that I see something amazing, something miraculous, from, from real miracles, I remember this mission trip I took to Puerto Rico, and they were praying for this man to be able to see. And they were praying over him, and, uh, and he said, well, I can't really see well. And they prayed again, and he said, I, can't, I still can't see. And then there's this girl there that said, wait, have you ever made Jesus your Lord and Savior? And he said, well, no. And they ended up talking to him. She led him through the sinner's prayer, and he ended up giving his life to Christ right then. Then they prayed, and, he was, and all of a sudden he was able to see. It was a real physical sight. It was a miracle. And there's other, uh, other stories that I've, I've been able to witness where I'm talking about uh, marriages and families that were completely broken. I'm talking about on the verge of divorce and, and uh, just seeing God's redemptive power of being able to restore them to where they're happily married today and have, like, uh, have amazing family and seeing like really beautiful stories like that. I'm talking about personal stories where uh, seeing, meeting somebody at their worst and seeing God's redemptive work in them to where you wouldn't even recognize to the person they used to be. See, real spiritual stories like that happen when people put on the lenses of humility and holiness. When we put on humility and holiness, we're able to have, uh, see these incredible spiritual things because we're looking through the proper lenses. But the, to counteract, to, to give a comparison to that, when we put on these pessimistic lenses, when we put on pride, when we put on uh, our ego, when we put on uh, our self-righteousness, we see everything in a really ugly way. Have you ever met some Christians like that? Some of the, some of the most beautiful people I've ever met have been Christians, and some of the ugliest people I've ever met have been Christians. And I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about internally. Some of the ugliest and prettiest people have been Christians, or labeled Christians. What I've found is that it's those who see everything in this negative sense they don't believe any miracle. They don't believe anyone's story. They look at everyone as less than. They're wearing lenses. They're wearing these improper lenses, and that's why they can't see spiritual things. So with that being fresh for us, I want to I share one last concept, and that is what it's like to make a lifestyle out of being activated spiritually. And uh, 
And I want, us to, I want us to just grasp, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. To, to learn God's Spirit, you must be in God's Spirit. To learn God's Spirit, you must be in God's Spirit. And once you go beyond being able to see things spiritually clear, you have the potential to, to really grasp and feel spiritual things around you and going on in your life, in front of you. And this is the stage where, where really amazing miracles happen. The stage in which you see God move through you to do spiritual things, to do beautiful things, rather than just around you. I'm talking about being activated spiritually. And it doesn't require you to have a career change or to have uh, become a professional preacher. And, and when I think about I'm used to it, it makes me think about... Um, my first interactions with like spiritual things, spiritual world. And I've shared plenty of times about like the first time I ever cast out a demon accidentally. And I remember that the, when I, my first interactions with the spiritual world, I was like, man, this is freaking crazy. I remember the first time I had a, uh, I was leading somebody to Christ over the phone and all of a sudden they started having this spiritual manifestation over the phone. And this demon starts talking back to me and saying, I, you can't have him. That's a real story. I was like, what the freak is <laughs> Shut up, devil. Weird things like that to where it would freak me out at first. But now I'm used to it. Remember the last time I I was praying over someone, they started having this demonic manifestation. I was like, hey, cut that out. It's It's just I'm used to it now. It's an ordinary thing. And see, it's the same way with miracles. When you start to live in a in God's spirit, miracles are every day. You start to see those God moving in some of the most seemingly ordinary things because n- miracles are normal to you. You're used to it. I want us to look at an example of the person Stephen in Acts chapter 6. It says, Now at this time, the dis- as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint developed on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It says the announcement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So to grasp what's going on in the story, the apostles are given this complaint within the church that there's some forms of uh, some minor forms of racism and segregation going on within the church. That the, there are people that are not getting as much food as other people because of their background, because of because of their uh, uh, because of their nationality. And so we see that this is a problem within the first church planted. And rather than ignoring it, the apostles use a powerful tool called delegation. And notice how, I want to be really clear, because you can look at this like they didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> they put other people in charge. No, they said it's not desirable for us to stop doing the ministry that only we can do to do something that other people can do. See, real leaders recognize that delegation is giving people uh, authority and tasks to do things that other people can do while you do 
what only you can do. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so they did this and notice how, how important it is to them. They didn't say, just find some, someone to go take care of this. They said, find some people that we can delegate this ministry to that are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Said full of wisdom and faith of the Holy Spirit. And it shows how ministry roles are very important to, to uh, the disciples, the apostles here, church. And that's why even, uh, even with our church, I don't typically like the idea of just anybody. Like, There's been plenty of times where people have offered to lead worship for our church. In fact, when we first started this church, I had a meeting with somebody that said, oh, I can lead worship for you. And after like talking with them, I was like, I don't really think this is going to work out. It's, and it's not because uh, I didn't think that we're good enough, but because when it comes to ministry, that there's, there's certain, uh, uh, certain roles and positions where we should aspire to put on the lenses of humility and holiness so that we can operate in that ministry in a spiritual way. This is an incredibly ordinary task. It's really serving out food at a soup kitchen. That's what's going on. They're serving tables, going around saying, hey, you need anything? You want some more coffee? <laughs> you guys hungry? We got some more. You want seconds? That's all it is. See, isn't that some, one of the most seemingly ordinary, mundane tasks that no one would necessarily be jumping up saying, oh, I want to volunteer. Oh, please pick me. But see, what we grasp is that Stephen was one of these chosen to help and with the seemingly basic and unspiritual task of handing out food to the people. And in this very ordinary role, we see this is what happens through Stephen. It says, in, uh, following in verses 8 through 10, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So we see Stephen doing some flat-out miracles while handing out food. Talking about people like, oh, my side. And he's like, can I pray for you? <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm completely better. Like, praise God. All right, let me go get some more crackers for y'all. <laughs> he's just doing miracles on the fly, just like, like it's nothing, while he's doing something ordinary. And he took what was an ordinary position, and he saw the full potential of what it could be with the power of God added to it. And it shows that when you live in God's Spirit, you bring the supernatural to even ordinary and natural situations. You carry the power to make a difference into the lives of regular people you associate with on a day-to-day by living in God's Spirit. I really believe that if, if this was a situation today, Lauren would have been like Stephen. <laughs> My wife, Lauren, you know when she worked at Bill's, Bill Miller's? This is a, this is a, a funny story, but at Bill Miller's, when Lauren would work there, this is a young Christian girl just ready to, to, to share the gospel message with anyone. She would irritate her coworkers. There's one time where someone came out and said, Who could, keeps putting these tracks of Jesus inside the toilet sauce? I'm tired of finding them and throwing them away. <laughs> and she would leave these little Jesus tracks, these little, uh, little testimonial cards 
for people on the toilet stalls. No one asked her to do this. No, it's not like a, a pastor said, you should do this at your workplace. It's just this something within her that wanted to share Jesus and the power of God with others in any way she could. Even on top of just uh, slinging some tacos, when she was, uh, she was a packager and she would be handing out the bags to people, right before she put everything in, she would write a, 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 a note on every bag that she would give out. <laughs> That's dedication, right? Talking about working in fast food. I'm like, God loves you. Here's your bag. <laughs> Talking about people screaming at you like, ah, this should have been ready already. Here's your bag. <laughs> God loves, God's going to do something in your life today. <laughs> See, it's something so ordinary, but being spirit-filled while doing it. And we, I could go over stories, over stories, over stories of how people, when they do this, they see incredible supernatural results because they're living in God's spirit in this ordinary world. If you want to learn God's spirit in a practical and powerful way, you must live in it in the day to day, not just in the moments that you're desperate for God, but go to God when even everything is good, when everything is fine. Let God be your regular in the day to day. And you'll start to see uh, the moments that other people are desperate where you could show God to them. I want to take this moment for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe you're here today, and at some point when I'm talking about this, this, this connection with God, this spiritual connection with God, you're just thinking about how you have not had a moment where you've made a decision for that kind of connection. Maybe today you're actually in need of that miracle. You're due. You're desperate. And maybe this was all exactly what you needed to hear today. And you feel like God's Spirit is reaching out to you right now. If that's you, and you know deep within yourself that you need to reach back out to God, and that you want to make that decision and put your trust in Him through Jesus today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. So just there to yourself, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to God yourself. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, acknowledge that he's the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead, that that's all it takes to start this spiritual journey with him. It's all it uh, that's all it takes to start this relationship with Him. Repentance, that word, it simply means to change direction. It's not a mean, nasty word. It simply means to change direction. And the moment that you put your trust in Jesus, that is the first step of changing directions. Don't let another day go by without having that conversation. Now, while they're doing that now, Every head still bowed and eye closed. If you're here and you feel like this was exactly what you needed to hear today, and you feel this like spiritual calling within yourself to go into this just a, a higher level of spirituality that you want to be in the day to day in the in God's spirit, and you feel that call that God was talking to you today. With every head bowed and eye closed. If that was you, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you, God. I pray that. 
your Holy Spirit would just confirm what was spoken today, that you'd make things abundantly clear, and that you'd confirm uh, and affirm what you are calling each individual to do. I pray that you give them creativity and inspiration for what it looks like to be activated spiritually. And I pray, that God, that you help us all put on the lenses of humility and holiness so that we can see you clearly. We want to know your voice distinctly, and, and we want you to uh, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. With all that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. And before we do, uh, I want to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you all. Have a good life. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church.